Well, once again, happy Easter, Harvest family, and other family and friends and guests that are joining us today for worship. Man, we're so excited that you're here, and we're so excited that it's Easter, and we get to worship the Lord together today. So we're going to do that now through the study of his word. If you'll go ahead and grab your Bibles with me, we're going to go to 1 Peter, a small book in the back of the Bible, in the back of the New Testament, so kind of thumb your way to the back and find this little book called 1 Peter. We're going to start in chapter 1 today with verse 3. Um, I want to talk about a really important topic today, I think, for us in general, but especially for us right now, and that's the, that's the idea of hope. Um, when you hear that word hope, w- what do you think about? What does that bring to mind for you? Maybe you're thinking, man, I hope the Cardinals can start playing ball again soon because I'm really missing me some Redbirds. Maybe you're thinking, I hope this pastor is quick because I want to get to e- Easter lunch. Or maybe you're thinking, I hope this pandemic ends soon so we can get back together safely and, and join together uh, as a family. I, I don't know what that brings to you, but that word hope, it has so many different meanings, so many different connotations in our culture. It's kind of a tricky word for us today. In fact, just the other day, uh, my eldest daughter, her birthday is coming up here at the end of the month, and uh, she said, of course, in earshot of dad, she said, I really hope that I get a Nintendo Switch for my birthday. And in my head, I was thinking, I really hope you can overcome the disappointment because <laughs> that is probably not going to happen. So all these different meanings of hope, all these different ways that we use hope it seems like sometimes hope can be fickle. They can kind of come and go. They can be fleeting, right? It's amazing how hope can spring up with just one little comment in a moment, but it can also die just as quickly. This reality of how hope comes and goes in our lives at times, it can oftentimes feel us, leave us feeling hurt and defeated and looking for that next ray of hope that might get us through the next day or week or month. But you know, the Bible talks about a different kind of hope. It talks about a hope that's bigger and stronger. It talks about a better hope that we can have in the Lord. And they call it a living hope here in 1 Peter. So I want us to talk about this living hope today. And what I want you to see in the text is that living hope only comes when I hope in the living Jesus. Living hope only comes when I put my hope in the living Jesus. Jesus. So with that in mind, look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing Peter tells us here about hope is that hope in Jesus guarantees me eternal life. Hope in Jesus guarantees me eternal life. He starts off and he says, blessed be God according to his great mercy. Do you understand that our God is a God of mercy? That is, that is so good for our souls to hear once again. You know, mercy is when God does not give me what I deserve. Not giving, giving me what I deserve. That's mercy. And the penultimate example of mercy is the cross. This is God's great act of mercy towards us that instead of giving me the punishment and the death that I deserve for my sin, Jesus came and took my punishment and my death for me. That's mercy. And God's mercy is great towards us. He says, therefore, we can be born again through the resurrection of Jesus. 
So I love how Peter, in one verse, highlights the two biggest events in all of human history, and especially in the church. He shows us that Jesus brought his great mercy to us on the cross, but he showed us his great power in the empty tomb. That it wasn't just about his death, it was also about his resurrection. The empty tomb that we celebrate today on Easter Sunday is the proof of Jesus' awesome power over sin and death. It proves that he is God and that he alone can give us new life. He alone can give us eternal life, free from sin and free from death. Because as Peter says, his great mercy has come to us and we can be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. There's a lot of terms there that are kind of unique to the Bible, so let's talk about that for a second. The the idea of being born again. In the Bible, that literally means that when I'm born again, I die to sin and I live for Jesus. It's starting a new life, right? It's dying to the temporal, earthly, sinful life that I know now and being born again into a new, spiritual, eternal life with Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of people in our world that don't really understand what a Christian is or what it means to be Christian. It's not just going to a church. It's not just being a good person or following a bunch of rules. No, no, no. If I'm a Christian, that means that I believe in Jesus and I'm saved from my sin and I have a whole new life with him. Believe in Jesus, be saved from sin, have a new life with him. That's a Christian. And right here, Peter's talking to Christians saying, you can be born again to a living hope. My faith in Jesus gives me this living hope that Peter talks about. You know, hope very simply is this eager, confident expectation in the future that something good is coming, that I can look ahead and think, man, I want that to get here sooner. That's hope. We've all experienced that in various ways. But here, he talks about a living hope. That Greek word there for living means not just living, but growing, increasing, strengthening, day after day, year after year, a hope that just keeps growing and getting bigger and stronger every moment of every day. Think about that. Who has a hope like that? (laughs) Who has a hope that gets bigger and stronger, keeps going and going? Most of us do not experience hope like that in our lives. Most of the time when we experience hope, our experience has been that it comes and goes, that it's up and down with the highs and lows of life. For most of us, hope is more like the Missouri weather this past week, up and down and all over the place and unpredictable, than it is the sunrise that gradually grows and grows and grows across the sky. But Peter here is saying that you and I, all of us, we can have this living hope that grows and increases and strengthens over time. It doesn't have to come and go with the circumstances of our lives. We can have a lasting, living hope. Don't you want a hope like that? But this living hope, it only comes through faith in the living Jesus. So Peter goes on to tell us more about this hope. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter goes on to describe this living hope as this eternal life, this inheritance that we get by following Jesus. 
An inheritance is this future reward that we're looking forward to, that it's going to be great and marvelous, and it's coming to us. But this inheritance isn't like any inheritance, right? This isn't like the inheritance you get from Grandpa Bob. This is a different kind of inheritance, because Peter says that it's imperishable. Meaning it's not subject to decay. It won't ever wear out. It won't ever run out. It's going to keep going. And when I think about imperishable, there's only really three things I can think about that qualify for that term. One is God. Two is God's word. And then three is what Peter talks about here, our resurrection bodies, our life beyond this life, the eternity that we're going to have with him. It is imperishable inheritance. But also he says the inheritance is undefiled. It's unpolluted by sin. It's un. It's perfect and holy and blameless before God. This inheritance we have is a life that is free from all sin and and pain that we've experienced. It's undefiled, and he says it's unfading. It's never going to lose its glory because we're going to always be in the presence of God. Wow. That's an inheritance. When, when I think about, I have, when I realize that I have that coming to me, when I know that that's my future, it changes how I deal with this life. It gives me a living hope that despite anything this life throws at me, I know the best is yet to come, and so I can keep walking in hope. That's what Peter's talking about. He says not only do we have this inheritance, but this inheritance is guarded for us, he says, through faith. See, eternal life with Jesus It's secured by our faith in Jesus. But once we have it, it's then guarded by God. He guards our our inheritance, our salvation. He guards us by his mighty power so that it says here that we can be guaranteed salvation in the last time. That phrase, last time, is pointing to a day that's coming. A lot of times we, we like to think about Jesus as this loving Savior, and he is that but he's also the righteous, perfect judge. And there's a day coming at the last time where Jesus will come back to judge the sins of the world and to to hand out punishment and wrath to all those who have rejected him. And for those people on that day, it is going to be hopeless. They're done. But we don't have to walk into that hopeless. We can walk into that last day, he says, with hope in our salvation. We can be guaranteed a pardon from God's wrath. We can be guaranteed that we're guarded from that punishment if our faith and our hope are in Jesus. As Peter talks about our inheritance that is to come, it got me thinking this week about a story about inheritance. There was this young man who one day he went up to this older, richer man and, and said, you know, t- tell, me, tell me, how did you get your fortune? How did you how did you do this? So the older man kind of sat up and he straightened his vest and he said, well, son, it was 1932, the depth of the Great Depression. I was down to my last nickel and I went up and I bought an apple with that nickel. And I spent all day polishing that apple and making it just right and then I sold it at the end of the day for 10 cents. The next morning I got up and I bought two apples with that 10 cents and I spent all day polishing them and then I went and I sold them for 20 cents at 5 p.m. And I kept doing that same system for a month and by the end of the month I had accumulated a fortune of a dollar and 37 cents. The young man said, well, wow, that's, that's impressive. Did, so is that how it started? Is that how you started your empire? Is that how you started your, your wealth? And he said, the old man said, no. Next couple days, 
my wife's father died and left us $2 million. <laughs> so isn't that kind of the way it works, right? The moral of the story is hard work is good, but inheritance is better, <laughs> right? And so the same thing is true for us spiritually. Listen, working hard to be good and fair and kind, working hard to live a good life is good and fine, but it's never going to get you the inheritance you want. The only inheritance being a good person gets you is still death and punishment and wrath. Because no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough to be perfect like God is perfect. And so the only way that you and I can guarantee this, that we get hold of this eternal inheritance with Jesus in heaven is not to put our hope in us or our hard work or what we can do, but to put our hope in the one who is already perfect for us, to put our hope in the perfect Jesus and the inheritance that he gives. You can't get there on your own. You need an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading that's guaranteed to you, and the only way you get that is through Jesus. So what will your inheritance be? At the end of this life, what will your spiritual inheritance be? Will it be based on your hard work and your good efforts? Or will it be based on Jesus' perfection? Put your hope in Jesus to receive an inheritance of eternal life. That's the only way. Put your hope in Jesus to receive an inheritance of eternal life. So 1 Peter tells us about this guarantee of eternal life that we can have if we hope in Jesus. But then he goes on to talk more about hope. He says in verse 6, look at this. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, because you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So not only does hope in Jesus guarantee us eternal life, hope in Jesus carries me through life. It carries me through this life right here, right now. It's not just about the future, it's about now. Notice Peter says, in this you rejoice. Like right now, you can rejoice in this eternal inheritance that you have because of your faith in Jesus. I can find joy in knowing that I'm going to be living with him and, and being with him for all of eternity. That promise of salvation and eternal life gives me joy in the midst of the ups and downs that I experience in this life. Peter goes on to talk about that. He says, though now, right now in this life, you are grieved by various trials. I love this. I love that Peter gets real here for a moment. Can we just be real in church? Everybody okay? Hands raised. Everybody okay with being honest and real in church today? Can we do that, right? And he says, listen, life is hard. Life is full of trials and grief and hardship. Life oftentimes is trying and exhausting and disheartening all at the same time. It is. And Peter does not deny that reality. The Bible does not deny the reality that life is hard. In fact, it does the opposite. He tells us right here, it's precisely because life is hard, precisely because of that reality that we need and is, makes this living hope so necessary and valuable to us. It's not because we don't suffer, it's because we do suffer that we need living hope. And he says, you will have trials, but they will test the genuineness of your faith. Think about what your trials do in your life. How, 
How do your trials affect your hope and your faith? Do they break it down? When a trial comes, does hope run away? Does hope get defeated? And do fear and worry and doubt and despair rise up? Or when trials come, do they build up your faith? Do they build up your hope? Do they say, yeah, this is hard, this is bad right now, but it's a reminder to me that this is just temporary. That this, this is, this is going to pass away, and I'm going to still have my eternity with Jesus. I'm still going to have a hope that outlasts this trial right here. That's the kind of hope Peter's talking about. Which is it for you? When you hit a trial, does it break down your hope, or does it build up your hope, looking ahead to what you know is coming? Here's the reality, friends. Most people don't understand this, and this is so crucial for your head and your heart to process hope correctly in life. My hope depends not on the greatness of my trial, but the greatness of my faith. The hope that I have in this life to get through the day-to-day, it's not based on how big or small the trials are going to be. It's based on the greatness of my faith in a Jesus who has already won the victory for me and has already guaranteed me an eternal inheritance with him. That's what gives me hope. That's what gets me through the trials. And the same can be true for you. Because I have faith in Jesus, my endurance to go through the trials is not based on my power. It's based on his power. I can trust in him. And Peter, there, Peter therefore says, therefore faith is more precious than gold. Gold is the most precious and, and the most enduring metal in all of our world. But the truth is at the end of the day, at the end of time, it's still going to burn up. When this earth is burned up, gold's going to go right along with it. But he says, faith, true faith in Christ, will never perish. That will last forever. It carries me through any and every circumstance to the very end of the age. He says, if you have that kind of faith, you have that kind of hope in Jesus, therefore, it will bring praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. One day, our faith will become sight. Jesus will step down. We will see our Savior face to face. And in that moment, everything that faith cost us, all the the, the cost that we have to endure now in the trials will be worth it because we will see him face to face and we will be filled with praise and glory and honor and hope because Jesus has come. You know, Paul talks about this as well. It's not just Peter. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Paul says this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Sometimes it's easy to lose heart, isn't it? Trials come, problems come. It's easy for us to lose heart. But he says, no, no, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, all the trials we have in this life, they are light and momentary, he says, compared to preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We can make it through now because we see what's coming. He says we do not look at the things that are seen in this life, in this earth. We look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you know how a runner finishes the race how he makes it to the end, how he runs all the way to the finish line. It's because he has his eyes set on the prize. He knows the reward at the end is worth it. And so he keeps going. That's what Peter and Paul are talking about here. 
living hope in Jesus carries us through the trials of life for the promise of the future reward. Don't just look at the seen. Don't just look at what is now. Look at the unseen. And that will drive your hope through this life to get you there. You know, this past week, some of our church members, they were talking about um, COVID-15. Yeah, you heard me right. Not, not COVID-19, COVID-15. Have you heard about this? Have you heard about the COVID-15? It's kind of like the freshman 15 in college. You know what I'm talking about? All this stay at home is turning into a lot of snacking at home, which is not doing great things for our waistlines. And so um, they were talking about, you know, being healthy and trying to eat better and exercise. And, and we all want that, right? We all want to be healthy. We all want to look healthy. But it's so hard to eat right. It's so hard to exercise and put in the effort when you don't see the results, when you don't see the reward, when you can't see the progress being made. This is why every gym and every weight loss program has the before and after pictures, right? They're always like, they used to look like this, and now they look like this. And if you do it, you can look like this too. And they're trying to to give you that picture. They're trying to help you see the unseen, They're trying to to stir up hope in you that you can finish the program and you can finish the process because there's a future you waiting on the other side. And they know without that hope, you're not going to make it. That's exactly what Peter and Paul are doing right here in the scriptures. They're giving you a spiritual before and after picture, right? Before, right now, yes, there's trials, there's hardships, there's problems. But if you hope in Jesus, if you stay with him, the other side, the after picture, will be so much better. It will be a picture of an eternal life, free from sin and free from pain and free from the glorious presence. And I'm sorry, not free, but living in the glorious presence of our loving God. That's the after picture if we stay the course and keep the faith and put our hope in Jesus. And when we do that, it gives me the endurance. It gives me the power to suffer through now so I can get to that reward. So Peter would tell us, put your hope in Jesus to help you weather the storms of this life. It doesn't just guarantee me future life. It helps me weather the storms of this life right here, right now, because I know what's coming. I know what the after picture looks like. Keep your eyes on the unseen, not just on the seen. So hope in Jesus guarantees me eternal life, and it carries me through this life. But then there's one more thing Peter shows us here. Look at verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The last thing that Peter shows us here, he says that hope in Jesus saves me through his life. It saves me through his life, not mine. He says right here, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. What's he talking about? He's talking about faith again, right? This is in in Hebrews 11, uh, 1, the faith definition is simply this. Now, faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. You see, faith is necessary for every relationship that we have. Every relationship has some degree of faith in it, and the relationship with Jesus is no different. Let me give you some examples. Think about like a relationship with your business partner, right? Someone that you're in business with or a contractor. You have a certain level of faith in them. You have faith in their abilities to do the work. You have faith in their character and in their commitment to get it done and do it done, get it done right, 
There's a certain level of faith that you're taking and trusting them to work on the job with you. There's faith in a marriage relationship. When you say I do to somebody for the rest of your life, there's a faith that you're putting in them that they're going to reciprocate that relationship, that they're going to be transparent, that they're going to be devoted to you just like you're devoted to them. Every relationship takes some step of faith, and the relationship with Jesus is the same way. To love him, to have a relationship with him, takes a step of faith. Not blind faith. There's plenty of evidence for who he was and what he did, but it takes faith because you have to take a risk to trust in him instead of trusting in yourself. And anytime we trust ourselves to somebody else, there's a level of faith in that. And so Peter here is pointing out their faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Now this is the crux of the whole thing, is belief in Jesus. When the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it's really talking about trusting in Jesus. Entrusting your life to him. The whole idea of, of having a relationship with Jesus hinges on the fact of, do I trust him as my Lord and as my Savior? Do I trust him to do what he said he will do? And friends, we need to trust him because we definitely can't trust ourselves. Can we just be, again, just be, just be honest with ourselves for a moment? We're messed up people, right? We are sinners. We are born with sinful hearts and we make sinful choices and sinful decisions and sinful actions. We have sinful emotions and motives and we are full of sin. And that sin separates us from a holy God. He is holy and perfect and pure and he cannot associate with sin. So when we sin, we create a chasm between us and him that we cannot fix, that we cannot bridge. We can't get back to God on our own. You can't, a sinful person can't make themselves perfect again. Only God can do that. And so God said, you know what, I'll help. I'll I'll fix this for you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent God to come and be human like us, God in the flesh. And then he lived a perfect and sinless life, something that none of us could do. And we went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. He took my place. That's what I deserved. That's what you deserved, to be killed and punished and to experience the wrath of God for our sin and our rebellion. But instead, Jesus laid down his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay our debt, to pay for our sins, to be our substitute. And he died and they buried him in the tomb. And then three days later, he rose back to life. On Easter, he rose back to life to show us that he was God, that he had conquered sin and death, and that we could trust him to save us. That if we will repent of our sins and turn to him, he will forgive us and he will cleanse us and he will make us perfect before God. We give him our sin and he gives us his perfection so we can have a relationship with God again. That's how salvation works. But it all comes back to trusting It's all about trusting that his perfect substitutionary life is enough to cover my sins and make me clean before God. And this trusting, it isn't some momentary, emotional, feel-good experience. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a continuous, lifelong change in my heart. And when you come to trust in living the living Jesus alone, you will be changed and your life will be changed forever because you will have living hope in him. You know, trusting in Jesus is much like trusting in a chair or a stool. 
right? This stool, the job of this stool is to hold up my weight. For it to be able to do its job, I have to fully entrust myself to the stool. I have to sit on it, and, and I have to come to this point where it can hold me up. But if all I do is when I come to the stool, if I just have a momentary, you know, just kind of be like, oh, okay, I'm good. If I just kind of, okay, that's good, I, I, I just, that's enough. I never really trusted the stool, did I? I never really put my weight on it. I just touched it for a moment. Or maybe I, I'm squatting over the stool, but I'm not actually sitting. It looks like I'm sitting on it. It looks like I'm trusting the stool, but I still have all the weight on my own legs. I'm still really only trusting me. I'm not trusting the stool. It's not until I let my weight fall on the stool. It's not until it comes to the point where if the stool collapses, I'm done for. That's when I'm trusting. The same is true with Jesus. Until I put my entire life in his hands, until I put my destiny and my future and my eternity on him, I'm not really trusting him. Until I'm giving him the full weight of my life and my sin and trusting that he's going to pull me through, then I'm not really trusting. And if I'm not trusting him, then I'm not saved. It has to come to that full level heart trust in the Savior. Until my hope lies in him and only in him, then I'm not really there yet. But when you do fully and wholly trust in him, when you finally give him everything, it changes your whole life because you're filled with living hope. And Peter says, not only that, but you will rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and you will be filled with glory from God. Earlier, Peter said that we get to have joy because of our future inheritance, but that joy is great and that joy is true. But it is nothing compared to the inexpressible, overwhelming, magnificent joy that we get just by walking with Jesus day by day, step by step. It's that relationship with him that really fills me with joy. Because he is the source. He is the source of true joy and hope. And when I put my faith in him, I am guaranteed, Peter says, salvation in Jesus. Because my hope and joy is found only in him. So my question for you this morning is, do you have it? Have you obtained that level of faith yet? Have you truly trusted in Jesus? Have you found living hope in the living Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that right now. There's no better time than the present. You don't have to be in some special place. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be with a pastor. You can do it right there, right now, in your home, wherever you're at. You can trust in Jesus and be saved. All you have to do is humble yourself, confess your sin, ask him to forgive you, and commit your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. I want to challenge you to do that right here, right now. We're getting ready to sing a song of worship to him, a song about living hope. And while we do this, I would just beg you, please, just ask the Lord to save you. Let him come and trust and change your life. Trust yourself to him. And let him give you an eternal inheritance in heaven. There is no greater day. There is no greater answer to the hope problem in our lives. Because living hope only comes when I hope in the living Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be here with you right now, worshiping you on this Easter Sunday. Thank you, Lord, 
Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you that you are willing to save us from our sin and give us a relationship with you, Lord. It's all you. And so we come to you humbly today. Right now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come down and would fill and touch every heart that's listening, every person that's watching, and that you would call them to trust in you. You would show us our need, Lord, to trust in you right here, right now, and we would give our hearts and our lives to you. Lord, lead us all to find a living hope in you alone. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together.